0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, Romans chapter 1. And you can stand to your feet there just for a little bit. Once you find that, Romans chapter 1. Kind of like this morning, we read a few verses and then come back and get into it. And then we could look at some of the others as well. And I kind of have a proposition for you to be thinking about. I'm okay, Pastor. thank you very much. I think I am. (laughs) Always trying to figure out what to do with a little bit of water because sometimes you can really get uh, dry. And hopefully uh, that won't happen. The proposition is that unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man. Unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man. I remember taking uh, my granddaughter, Emily, Samuel's sister, when she was about 10 or 12, I kept telling her, I'm going to take you on some place special for your birthday. Now, but I'm not telling you till the morning I pick you up and it's gonna be about six o'clock in the morning. And I told her about two, or three months ahead and that nearly drove her insane. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you want to really get your wife stirred up, tell her way ahead and then don't let her find, cause they're real inquisitive. So we drove from Stillwater over to Oklahoma City and there's a train that goes from Fort Worth down, to, I mean, from Oklahoma City down to Fort Worth. And we took that, and they have a little car nurse, not a dining car, but it's a snack car and so forth. And for a little bit, she's kind of afraid to go, but we went back forth a couple of times, and then all she did was stick her hand out for money. She wasn't afraid of that anymore, and, <laughs> and just about wore that train out going back and forth. But when we got to Fort Worth, we taxied into the uh, taxi, or say, tack, I'm the thing about airplanes now, I guess, they? pulled into the terminal, and that was the end of the trip. And then when you fly, you know how it is? You land and you taxi into the terminal. And I I don't hesitate on this one, but it gets a point across. If we go to the doctor, there's one word we don't want to hear. And that's terminal. But all of us have a chance of that someday. But even that is not as bad as not taking care of eternal matters. Yes, sir. Right. So unthankfulness is the terminal attitude of man. I'm going to just read here from Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18, just a few verses. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. If We've got a lot of that going on in America. So much stuff we're being told, no more true than anything on earth. They glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, Father, thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. Thank you for the wonderful music program and how the choir blessed uh, my heart. What a great song. And I've heard it at Eastland Baptist Church and each time it's blessed my heart and I'm so glad to hear it here. And thank you for those Who will spend the hours practicing that we might enjoy this music thank you lord for those who learn to play instruments and that's a long process and i don't know how much other people appreciate it but i I am very thankful and just uh, music's amazing to me as best i know there's only so many notes and now for how many years have songs been written and there's still new ones coming how can you do that Except that you make that possible and lord i just know there's going to be some great music in heaven but i thank you for everything we have here so now i pray that you'd illumine our hearts and minds to understand bible truth and if we need to make some decisions then i pray that we would make them so that we could have your blessings on our life and we ask it in jesus name amen Amen. you may be seated a number of quotes, and so I'll have to probably read those. I don't have all of those memorized. It has to do with thankfulness because I hope not to be an unthankful person. You know, Spurgeon, it says we must thank God for the mercies we have, or else we shall not have others. You now when you hear a statement like that to me, some things are just self-evident truth. You no, know, if God's been good to us in certain ways, and certainly with his mercies and things like that. We were to say, Lord, thank you. Probably if I were to ask how many, you know, if I just worked with the men and rather than the ladies and say, how many times have you done something really dumb and you knew it? And I suppose a lot of hands would go up and, um, and, and the Lord delivered us from it. And I can't tell you how many times that's probably happened in my life. I haven't maybe intentionally done it, but didn't give enough thought to it. And the Lord was merciful. And I just said, oh, thank you so much, Lord. You say, you want to give us an illustration on that? No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But I have plenty of them. Maybe someday if I'm here and I'm longer and you want to buy a good cup of coffee, I'll talk to you for a long time because I've got a bunch of those. It's a wonder I didn't get killed several times just putting Christmas lights on a house when it has a real steep pitch. Just let your mind go on from there. You don't have to think too much about it. Or if you're staying up there for a long time and it begins to slightly rain, you're still up there, and then pretty soon it's sleeping, and you're still up there, but you've got to find your way down. Did you know you can climb a steeper house and you can come down because your toes grip better than your heels when you... If you don't know it, try it. <laughs> I promise you excitement. <laughs> Epictetus said... He is a wise man who does not grieve for the things which he has not, but rejoices in the things that he does have. Isn't that a good thought? That's good. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, um, and I, I, I have a mechanical desire, I'm not a mechanic. I have some mechanical ability, I guess. I try to do most of the work on my car, my motorhome. Motorhomes need something every single day, so you have to kind of get into that a little and so early on I started collecting craftsman tools and I've got quite a supply of them and I know some of y'all got snap on I can't afford them if you don't want yours I'll come get them (laughs) but until somebody gives them to me I'm going to thank God for my craftsman tools because I've got a lot done with those shoes. Usually, if I didn't get it done, it wasn't because of Craftsman's problem, it was because of my own problem at that point. So I wanna rejoice in that. I don't really have a very new car. I have a little Honda sitting out there. I have a motor home, I called him Barnabas. <laughs> Everything ought to have a name because I talk to him sometimes. <laughs> Barnabas weighs 34,000 pounds. We adopted him when he was 13, I don't recommend it. (laughs) It's kind of like kids, if you can get them earlier, it'll be better (laughs) if you can start with them. So he's 17 years old now. And then we've got a little Honda CRV that we pull behind Barnabas, we call him Barney. (laughs) Barney weighs 2,900 pounds. He does everything that Barnabas says. When the other one weighs 34,000, you weigh 2,900 or you getting that together. So that's just about the way it is. But you know, we're glad for that little car. It's got 207,000 miles that I have driven and I think it probably has maybe uh, 30,000 miles or maybe even 40 that I have pulled it and it's still running good and I'm a happy man. And I don't wanna go spend my money on anything else until I, I really have to. Psalms 104 says, with a hundred psalm in verse four, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts we praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Amen. In my mind, David had to be one of the most thankful people in the word of God, at least verbally so, over and over again. And of course, that's a psalm, and so you're thinking about David anyway when I, when I say that, I I would, if I'm going to be guilty, I'd like to be guilty of maybe just saying that too much, you know, and thanking the Lord and trying to be like David was talking about. Arthur W. Pink said, have we not more cause to praise him than to pray? Yeah, yeah, now you can get it working, okay? That takes some thought. Hear that again? Have we not more cause to praise him than to pray? Praise is thanks giving yes. prayer is basically asking give me give me give me now i'm i know there's some things that we should be praying about and we we got to have it and so forth but really you think about how many things we've asked the lord for we make it okay without it but we we are askers <laughs> and we we do that a lot and, and god's very patient with me and possibly with you as well but which one would you do the most and if we were to get a piece of paper or maybe a pad and put a line down the middle, and you wrote down every time you were thanking him for things and how much time you spent on it, and on the other side, how much time you spent asking for stuff. I heard somebody go, oh. Yeah, that's right. I bet you a lot of people in here could say, oh, and I might just say it with you. We are needy people, but a lot of what we think is a need is what we want, and a lot of that's not really Needs So maybe we could just think about that uh, just a little bit. It certainly makes me think about it. He said, no, we should be more into praising God than petitioning him. I think that Baptists sometimes are poorer in their praise than certain other denominations. Maybe our charismatic friends. You'll say, well, now, how about we're not talking about something else. We're talking about their praise. Quit getting off the subject. You don't like it. When we're at work or someplace like that and we have an opportunity to say to people, you know, my car was breaking I down. I, I said, Lord, I don't really have the money. I don't know if I know how to fix this, but if you're helping me, I'm sure gonna be sure and use that car for you and God help me. God help me get that car going again. You say, well, I don't know if I wanna... You're not ashamed to say that God helped you, are you? Yeah. Well, then we have got other troubles right. Right. Yeah. at that point. You say, well, I don't know how they'll respond. Well, say it the nicest way you can and, and let them respond. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't want to cause anybody grief or any kind of trouble or anything like that, but it's kind of like in the military, you know, those guys are not used to hearing that kind of stuff. Uh, but they need to hear it Amen. because it's good stuff. So we should be into praising the Lord. Wonder how the, maybe sometimes we should be more concerned about how the Lord feels about it than how they feel about it. How's that sound? Yeah, that's good. I, I think maybe that would maybe it'd fit us. Well then I really like G.K. Chesterton and it's a little bit lengthier and he said you say grace before meals. Well about the time I had been reading Chesterton and he's good to read then I read something else out of Arkansas and it was just a little blurb but it was true. An old farmer over there and that's not been that long ago but he was just an old farmer with an old truck and everything and so he would go to town to do his business. And you know how some of those towns are? They got a square downtown. You know, you got the courthouse and then, y'all know about things like that up north? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and there'd be, you got the courthouse in the middle and then around that would be little businesses. And some of those would be a cafe uh, where you get something to eat. So he came in, did his business, and he went over to the cafe and ordered something to eat. He'd buy himself, sitting in a booth and they bring the food, you know. And so he's there in the booth and he just buries his face in his hands and begins to thank God for it. Well, there's two or three hooligans over here looking at it and they begin to kind of point at him and laugh at him and so forth. And he's just praying. He wasn't worried about it a bit. And so by the time he finished and took his hands down, they were standing right by his table. And they said, hey, old man. And he said, yes. He said, does everybody do that where you come from? He said, no, the hogs don't. (laughs) do you pray in public before you start chowing down are you too concerned that someone may be bothered Well, let them be bothered because if God quits doing his part ain't nary a thing going to grow any place he's good We have lived in a country of bounty and have fed more people in this world than any other nation ever thought about, which is a surplus from what we have. So anyway, here's this old guy there and Kushner was talking about something just a little different. He said, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and grace before the opera, before the play or the pantomime, grace before I open a book and grace before sketching or painting or swimming or fencing or boxing and I say grace before I dip my pen in the ink how you doing did you know you couldn't do any of the things I just read without God's help just like that everything we've got can quit working in him we live we move, we have our being, right. yeah. period. Yes, sir. Amen. And I'm thankful for it. Amen. You know, a lot of times I wish I was seven feet tall and weighed 300 pounds, but I'd be in prison. <laughs> because some things upset me. <laughs> and probably some of y'all, and some of y'all are about big enough to try that. Well, Seneca said, we can be thankful to a friend for a few acres or a little money, yet for the freedom and command of the whole earth and for the great benefits of our being, our life, our health, our reason, we look upon ourselves as under no obligation. That's pride. God resists the proud. You know, it's hard enough to get through life as it is. I don't wanna try to go through life doing things in such a way that I'm trying to make my way through life and God is going. Because you can forget it. Pardon the grammar. You're not down south. Y'all probably have good grammar, but Okies (laughs) are not that. Just say, be better for telling Okie, you ain't going no place. (laughs) Do y'all understand that too? Okay. Sometimes you got to communicate. And I'm glad we can do that. And you say, you need to help with your grammar. I know (laughs) Probably Francis Schaeffer said it the best. The beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. Now think about that. You can't get away from it hardly. The beginning of man's rebellion against God was then and is now the lack of a thankful heart just going through some of these quotes caused me when i get to my prayer life just to spend some time saying lord and start counting uh the blessings going down the road it's it's dangerous i I don't know where it is now automobiles for a lot of years were the number one killer And then, I don't know where it is now, maybe some of y'all could help me, but then it became our doctors. And, you know, the medicine we got, that was the number one killer, and automobiles fell into second place. Isn't that great to go to your doctors? And he's the number one killer? I mean, it just doesn't seem to go together, does it? You know, and I, you know, Brielle's dad is a doctor, and so forth, but he probably knows some doctors like that, whatever the case. Germany had a few, I've got a book about this thick from the Nazi doctors, that I have when I was at Dallas Seminary reading from the ethics of medicine and medical people and stuff and so forth. But God is the one, you know, that we really need to be thanking things for. He's so good to us. Yes. Well, we'll note right here now that the Romans really knew there was a God. We read some verses about that. And he tells us, you know, you, you know that I'm here, not in those words, but God has showed himself unto them in verses 19 and 20. Invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. I'm just going to say this. The Romans knew there was a God. But let's do something while I'm going through this. So if you have your Bible, if you, you don't, I mean, you've got it there, but just think in your mind as we look at these verses, could you just take out the word Romans and put the word Americans? And I, uh, I looked at that a good long time, a while, while back, how many hits there was on comparing America with the Rome and their situations and so forth, being republics and things like that. It was unbelievable. It was millions that are making the comparison, and when I read Romans, oh my goodness! It's just a chapter right now, and what we just read—some of these things—it uh, it bothers me, and I said, Lord, you've been so good to us, and it looks like we want to go that way. Right so the Romans knew there was a God, and Americans know there's a God. God has revealed Himself in creation. You know, the 19th Psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There's not anybody that doesn't know there's a God. Mm -hmm. Now you just, you know, you can say some things I haven't heard, but when we step outside, when we can read in the Psalms and what David has to say about it, we see the same thing he saw. But how come we don't respond the way he did? and get from it what he got. There's no way to really get around that. You say, well, now, are you saying they can be saved? They don't need a missionary? No, I don't. I, I think they do have to have somebody. Now, just because we know that there's a God, they don't know what to do with him because they don't know who he is. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you could read some of the old books. Um, and everything they talked about the, the villages and smoke coming up from a thousand of them and so forth and they never found any villages where the people didn't worship right. they knew there was a higher power right. but they didn't know who he was yeah. that's the reason our missionaries go mm-hmm. they're probably not telling them anything new as far as you need to do something with your life because horrible things happen in some of those cultures. It's just unbelievable what those people have to go through at that point. But the Romans knew there was a God and all the Americans we know, and we think about some of them, they are just so vile and everything, they know that there's a God. And I don't know how much they know about him, but they know. God revealed himself in creation, but God's also revealed himself in history. J.A. Froude said something that, I. You know, he was back in the 1800s and a uh, Frenchman. And let me, I love this and I've never forgotten it and gotten that out of my head. One thing and one thing only that history teaches with certainty. Would that be worth knowing? Yes. If there's only one thing? Yeah. Here it is. That is that the world is somehow built on moral foundations. Yeah. And in the long run, it goes well for the good. In the long run, it goes ill for the wicked check your history he says history proves one thing with certainty i agree with that yeah. Yeah. germany is a good example a lot of great things happened in germany a lot of great theologians and so forth in germany uh, but sometimes they became and under hitler you know we've never seen it worse than probably than under hitler and uh tried to kill all of god's people as far as the jewish people a lot of other people suffered and died too But you know, when you do that, things are going to go ill for you. It looks like they would take over everything. One thing and one thing only, history teaches with certainty. But it doesn't say immediately that in the long run, it goes well for the good, and in the long run, it goes ill for the wicked. Abraham Lincoln said, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history. Does that sound familiar from the last quote? Proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. And it's true. And God has revealed himself in personification. You know, uh, I love Colorado because I love the mountains. I'm from Texas and Oklahoma. You can look out your kitchen window and watch your dog run away for two days. <laughs> you know, the second day his ears were just still going out across a prairie there. And I love those mountains and everything. Who do you think was in Colorado first, the people or the mountain goats? How come people get to tie, quit talking when I ask that? It's like they don't know what the creation account. The goats were there first. <laughs> and you think about horses and all those kind of things. You go out to Colorado and you look at how steep those beautiful mountains are. Think about those first wagon trains that tried to go through there and they couldn't hardly keep them turning over because of the angles. I mean, boulders like this with no backhoes. I mean, those were some people back then, weren't they? You know, mountain goats are still going up and down the mountains the same way they did when God made them. <laughs> and I'm driving on a road 75 miles an hour. Their personification, God's a creator and we're creators because he made us that way. It's just like horses. They never built a barn. But the only thing they tell you about bad weather is which way they turn, you'll know which way the wind's going. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. <laughs> So they knew there was a God. We know there's a God. It reveals himself in creation and the personification too as well. And then we know. And God knows, you know, that, that we know. The Romans didn't value God, and I'm not sure that Americans do. And, uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so they should be able to see that and we should be able to show them that and we may or we may not, we may not do so. Now, I want, So I want you to see maybe some of uh, what happened in Rome and I think a lot of this is happening in America and you're going to see that pretty quick too. So let's go back to our text here. When I used to read this years ago and I, don't, I can't speak for a pastor, I'm sure he does a lot of the same things, preachers do a lot of things. You read a text and it catches your eye just a little bit and you say, I'm coming back to it. And you read it again. And then somewhere down the road, you read it again. Then you read it again. And you start reading other books. And so going from where we started in verse 18 and down to the end of chapter 1, I'm going to go back and we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. Something changed. Where did it change? There was something. Because if you read in the earlier parts of this first chapter... He talks about the people in Rome. He says in verse 8, as I thank God through Jesus Christ for y'all you that your faith is spoken out through the whole world, and where there's good things about Rome at certain times. Is there one verse here that really shows the change that took place? I believe it is verse 21 Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but very strong conjunction became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools Now I want you to see how that's kind of worked out just a little bit in our own country we're in a mess in this country now when you get to the point you don't know There's a man and a woman, things like that. And I'm sure you say, Brother Hard, they might record this. The way it goes, bring them over here, and I just tell them face to face. I've got to be honest. and I'm not down on anybody. I'm just saying that's the way it is. That didn't happen overnight. There are steps that people take to get that place in their life. And I want you to see it. Step one is in verse 23. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's what man, and man did it first. He caused the problem. God will always respond, verse 24. God responds. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Man makes his next move. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. God responds For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And finally in verse 28, he puts both of them in the same verse. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You see the progression of that right in the word of God in Romans chapter 1. And that's exactly where America is. Now, I'm going to start reading from verse 29 down to 32. That's only a few, and we're going to be done with that. And i got a few comments, we'll we'll close. But I want it, if I read something here that doesn't seem to fit America, tell me after church, or bring your Bible and show me. So here we go, verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I don't think there's anything that we could read right there and not say it's true of America today. So it says in verse 21, when they knew God they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became Vain, in their imaginations. you know what the word vain means? It means empty. Now think about the word empty. We're talking about a human being being empty, and in this case, maybe in their mind. If you could think back, America was so far ahead of everybody else. It's, do you forget that America was a baby nation? I mean, over in Germany, I've got a picture of a building with a date on it. It's before Columbus sold over here. We're 200 and something years old. We're babies. How did we get here so quick to be the world power and admired around the world? Well, God did it. I think I mentioned to I spent my time on submarines, but I had a chance to ride an aircraft carrier when George W. Bush, the first one, coming back for the USS Ranger. Some of y'all might know that's a nice carrier coming back, and I was able to get on it with an officer friend of mine, my son and I both, actually, in Hawaii and ride it back to California. And I, I spent most of my time on a flight deck. I couldn't believe that these airplanes could go from zero to 250 miles an hour in just a few seconds. Now, they're powerful, the jet engines they've got, but that's not how they get there. There's this thing it's kind of like a chute or whatever, and back then it was steam controlled, and now it's magnetic. It'd be kind of like if you had, you know, a slingshot, as we'd call it in the old days, with a big rubber band on it. Those airplanes are shot off of that carrier. That's how we got where we are. God catapulted America to the front because of the positions that our founding fathers had that we're throwing in the trash. That's right, yeah, right. And we're gonna pay for it. Right, yeah. And the price is gonna be high. You say, well, we're we gonna, yeah, go ahead. We're in more debt than we've ever been in in our life. And there's gonna be more probably in all these things. You see, trying to paint, paint a dark picture, well, I don't know how to paint a light one if we're going to continue in our ways as a country because God's got to be true to himself. He's also got to be true uh, to his word. I'm just thankful for everything he's already done and given, us, and given us a chance to live in a place where we live and still like today, as we talked about, have freedom to do what we're doing right now. Sarah Ben Brethnick said, you will simply not be the same person two months from now after consciously giving thanks each day for the existence in your life. And you will have set in motion an ancient spiritual law. The more you have and are grateful for, the more that will be given you. I found that to be true. It's changed my prayer life. So my prayer life has been get up into my mornings, you know, and go down to my office downstairs, usually get up fairly early and pray and just start praying, um, God, or, you know, pray for grace and what's going on my wife, what's happening that day and for my son Wayne and others, and then pastor friends across the country. And, but I changed it just briefly. Instead of just saying, be with grace, I said, Lord, thank you. <laughs> For my wife. She's a godly woman. Didn't take too much, does it? Thank you. Thank you for a godly son or a godly grandson. And I mean, you know what I'm saying, what I'm doing is just being thankful to the Lord before I just start spouting out what I want him to do. And that kind of changed my prayer life and, and I still have maintained that and I think I can see some results. When we were in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was on a submarine, uh, we worked out of Charleston and we joined a church there, Hanahan Baptist Church in Charleston, and we had a pastor by the name of Hobson Wolfe. Brother Wolfe had uh, never had one day in Bible College. He murdered a King's English. But he loved God, and he knew that Bible. And, man, he just preached and sweat and everything. And so we were there about three years at that church, and then I was discharged, and we came back to Texas. And one day I said to Grace, I said, Hey, baby, uh, we sure learned a lot from Brother Wolf, didn't we? And she said, You know, we did. We we grew a lot under him. I said, I don't ever... remember thanking him for it. And I just kind of stood there for a moment and then she, she said, do you know how far it is from here to Charleston? Like she's pre-thinking my little seven, six and seven-eighths head, you know, <laughs> wanted to know. I said, yeah, uh, it's 1,200 miles. She said, you gonna call him? I said, no, I, I don't think that'll get it. Now, I'm not a preacher when this is happening. I'm a sailor, just got out of the Navy. She said, you gonna write him a letter? I said, this is South again. No, (laughs) no, I'm not gonna do that. I don't think that's gonna get it either. She said, well, if it's 1,200 miles, you better make some plans. I said, we better put that on the calendar. And we did, and we drove 1,200 miles. And I checked with some people that I knew to make sure he wasn't out of town preaching somewhere or something. We went up to his house, knocked on the door. We're standing on his porch. He comes, to the, he comes to the door. Now, I can't say it like him. I'm a Texas boy. I'm not from the deep south. Lord, have mercy. What are you kids doing? Get in this here house. And so we went in and sat down and started talking to him. Hey, what brings you kids? No one's called us kids for a while. Please feel free, you know. <laughs> what brings you kids out here? I said, well, Brother Wolf, you know, we're members here three years and uh, you faithfully, you faithfully preach the word and we come at her to thank you for it. Uh, he took off talking on something else. My wife was there. She saw, watched all of this. And so we talked a little bit longer and then he jumps in. He says, "But uh, what brings you kids out here? I said, Brother Wolf, uh, you know, we were here three years and you were faithful to preach the word of God and we felt like we really, we really benefited that and that's the why we're here. And he took off on something else. And then the third time he came around, he said, but what brings you kids out here? I said, Brother Wolf, look at me. And he did. I said, we drove out here to thank you for preaching faithfully the word of God. I saw a tear kind of come in his eyes, he never did cry, but I saw his eyes water. We spent some time with him, we came back the next day, spent some more time with him, and we drove home. He didn't live a long time after that. Sometimes people say, uh, heard you guys travel quite a bit, "Uh, yeah. Been about 35 countries and different things and we do. And what's our greatest trip he ever took? Oh, it was from Arlington, Texas, to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Tell an old preacher that cared about it. Yes, sir. A young sailor and his wife. Don't you take the men of God in your life for granted? God will be paying attention to that. We've lost enough good men of God in America already. And if all of those are jerked out, we thank God for Brother Wolf and the great influence that we had in his life. He had in our life. So I've got one last sentence for you here. And we're going to have an invitation. If tonight, and it could happen, If tonight, before the sun comes up tomorrow, God takes everything from you that you haven't properly thanked him for, what are you going to have left? Just think about it. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. It's all stand.